If you are a follower of Jesus, a Christian, then in the next few minutes, I'm probably going to poke a sore spot for us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus or you're not a Christian, or maybe you're not quite sure what spiritual category you fall into, that's okay. We're glad you're here. But honestly, in the next few minutes, I'm probably going to confirm, at least in your mind, why up until this point you've chosen not to be a follower of Jesus. Or you've chosen not to believe, or for whatever reason, you've chosen to kind of stay away from Christians and church and you're barely here now. What I'm getting ready to talk about is going to be very real and raw, but I know it's something that's going to help us if we will just allow it. I hope you were here last week or watched it online or the app. If you missed week one, make sure you go catch up on that so that you have a context for what you're getting ready to hear now. And I want to encourage you not to miss the last two weeks of the series that are coming up because this whole thing is a package. This topic of enough, having enough, I can't take any more kind of thing. There's so much to talk about. There's so much to, to process it, it's going to take the whole series, and so I want to make sure you catch all of that so that you're uh, in the loop. As I told you last week, what I'm going to be talking about today is going to sound a little controversial. It's going to sound even almost irreverent, unholy, or I don't know if we can do that. But what, I, like I told you last week, what we're going to talk about today is the concept and the idea of forgiving God. And that sounds odd, right? Forgive God? What's that about? Well, let me explain it. And let me explain it by taking you on a little journey. Let's begin with this. God is perfect. God is perfect. He's God. It means he knows everything, he sees everything, and he can do anything and everything. He's God. He's flawless. Technically speaking, He's done nothing for which to be forgiven. He's perfect. And even people who don't believe in God, even people who don't follow God, at least have a concept in their mind that if I were a God person, if I believed in God, I would assume that God is perfect. Like he's the pinnacle, he's the top. So even people who don't believe in God would at least say, well, yeah, that makes sense if you believe in that kind of stuff. And so those of you who believe in God and those of you who follow God, they're like, yep, that makes sense. God is perfect. He's done nothing that needs to be forgiven. He can't do anything wrong. He can't think anything wrong. It's against his nature to even think anything wrong. So he is absolutely perfect. He does not need forgiving in the sense that you and I need forgiving. However, even though God is perfect, we often treat him and talk as though he's not. Hold that thought, we'll come back to it. Here's the second thing. God is perfect and God loves us and has a purpose for our lives. That is pretty universally accepted. Even by people who don't believe in God, even by people who don't follow God, they would say, well, if I were a person who believes in God, I would assume that God is loving. And those of you who follow God know he is unconditionally loving, more than you can possibly imagine or fathom. And God has a purpose, a plan, a will. God is not just willy-nilly doing whatever. God is very methodical in what he does and what he allows and 
Even someone who doesn't follow God would say, yeah, that would make sense. An almighty God would have a plan for his creation. So God is perfect. He loves us. He has a purpose for our lives. You know that is true. And at the same time, here we go. We think and feel God has gotten it wrong when it comes to certain things in our lives. Now, you may not come out and say it like that, and you're not going to put it on a T-shirt. I think God is wrong. Okay, but deep down in your gut, in the corners of your mind, in the places you don't talk about at parties, you look at that certain situation in your life and you're like, I think God missed it on this one. Because we say it in different ways. I don't know why God did this. And we even say, God shouldn't have allowed this. Now see, we're not coming right out and accusing God, but when we say God shouldn't have, that's an indirect way of us saying, he got that wrong. Maybe you feel like God's gotten it wrong because he could have stopped something and he didn't. Because he's perfect and he can do anything. He's all powerful, he can do anything. Has no limits. And he let something happen in your life and he could have stopped it from happening. He could have stopped you from experiencing it. He could have stopped that from happening to you. He could have stopped that person from saying that to you, from doing that to you. He could have stopped that disease. He could have stopped that fear. He could have stopped that depression, that anxiety. He could have stopped it and he didn't. And now you've had enough. You're like, I think God missed it on this one. Or maybe you think God has gotten it wrong because he could have provided something for you that he didn't. He could have made something great happen and he didn't. He could have helped you financially and he didn't. He could have given you that job and he didn't. He could have given you that raise and he didn't. He could have and you filled in the blank because he's God and he's perfect and he's almighty and can do anything and he could have provided this for you because he's God. It would have been nothing for him. And he didn't. And so as a result, in your experience, you don't feel that he's been very loving and you don't see the purpose. You ever been there? Can you be honest enough to say, I, I know God loves me, but it doesn't feel loving. I know there must be a purpose, but I sure as heck don't see it. So it's as if we need to forgive God, even though he's done nothing wrong, for not performing as God, as we think he should. It's as if we need to forgive God for not doing what we thought, what we hoped, or even what we prayed that he would do. Even though God's done nothing wrong. And so a lot of people say, well, I love God, but to be honest, I'm having a hard time trusting him. Many of you say, I love God, but I don't, I, I don't know if I trust him. And you know why? Because bottom line, he hasn't done as God what you think you would do if you were God. He hasn't done as God what we would do for us if we were God. Because if I was God and I love me, and if I was God and I had a purpose for my life, then I wouldn't have let this happen to me and people like me. And I wouldn't allow, and when, I, and when they asked for me to do this, I would have done it. I would have answered all their prayers exactly the way they wanted it. I mean, that's the way we think, right? We may not come right out and say it. So now we're mad. Now you're mad. You're bitter towards God. 
confused, maybe, discouraged, blaming God. You know, a lot of people hold grudges against God. I don't know why I did. If God would just have let this, if God would just have answered my prayer, it would have been nothing for him. And it wasn't like I was asking for something selfish. I was asking for something good, and I don't get it, and I don't understand why. If God would just, and you fill in the blank, and no wonder you've had enough, right? Maybe you think God's had it out for you for some time, and he's ignoring you or punishing you. You see, we have a category in our minds when we've had enough because of something we've done wrong. And sometimes that happens. We make a stupid choice and we pay the consequences. And we at least have a category for that. And we talked about last week, it doesn't mean just because you've had enough that you've done something wrong, but at least we understand when that happens. And we understand when somebody else has done something wrong to us. And it kind of brings us to our wits end. And I've had enough because they've done. We have category for that. You know what we don't have a category for often? When it's not because of something that we've done to ourselves or that something somebody else has done to us, but when it's something that God has done or God has allowed. See, the wheels start coming off at that point. That's why we're talking about this, this concept of forgiving God, even though God, be very clear, God has done nothing wrong to be forgiven for because he's perfect. It's as if. So what does that look like? Well, to get there, I want to tell you a story got a lot of details to cover so listen fast we're going to talk about a guy named job in the old testament job's story not jobs jobs job was a very godly man he loved god and god was very proud of him job was a very wealthy man not because he was godly he just happened to be godly and wealthy It's just one of those things. He was one of the wealthiest guys around, and he had tons of livestock and all the things that you would look to and point to and say, that person lived, they they have arrived. They've got it all. Then from everybody else's standpoint, Job had it all, and he was a man of integrity and great character, and he loved God. Well, one day, the scriptures tell us, and you can read it all for yourself in the book of Job, and I encourage you to do this, but I'm going to summarize for you. Satan and God were having a conversation because that thing evidently happens. And something, not, every, not just because you don't know something and I don't know something doesn't mean it ain't something, okay? And God brings up Job's name to Satan. says, hey, um, have you ever noticed how great Job is? I'm so proud of him. He's a man of integrity. He's upright in everything that he does. He just, he just is a great guy. Have you ever noticed Job? I'm so proud of Job. And Satan goes, well, well of course. But let me tell you, God, why, why Job loves you so much. It's because you blessed him so much. Who wouldn't be a great guy if they had all the things that Job has? He's healthy. He's wealthy. He's got a big family. I mean, he is at all. Everybody knows Job is just the man. He's like the star. Satan says, if you take away his stuff, if you take away his blessings, he will curse you to your face, God. God says, you think so? Let's see. So God tells Satan, and I'm summarizing, Take away his stuff. Take away his blessings. Just don't touch him personally. You can take away anything you want to take away. You can mess with his life however you want. Just don't touch him personally. And that's exactly what Satan did. In the next few short hours, in very quick succession, Job lost everything. He lost all of his animals. All of his animals, his livestock were either stolen or killed. 
He lost all of his servants. And back then, that was not, it wasn't like a slavery thing. It was just a, a lot of hired hands. He lost all of his servants. And that was that was big deal. They, they were all killed. And Job had 10 kids. He had seven sons and three daughters. And in a freak accident, all 10 children were killed. Roof collapsed. A building collapsed on them. He killed all 10 of his children. Job literally lost everything that people would point to him and say, this guy's got it all. Satan took it all away. God let him do it. Actually, God brought the idea up. Now see, Job had no idea at this point that this conversation between God and Satan had gone down. He had no idea. Just like you and I have no idea about some things and why they happen the way they do. But Job literally lost everything in his response it's very interesting. It's amazing to me. Let's look at Job's response and how it initially started. He stood up and he tore his robe in grief. So he just, it's just the way they expressed it. Then he shaved his head, not for the reason I shaved mine or you shaved yours probably, but back then it was like a show of grief and despair and anguish. And look at this. And he fell to the ground to worship. Really? Let's keep reading. This is fascinating. He said, I came from my mother's womb and I will be naked. I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Wow. Told you he was a man of integrity. Told you he was a man of great character. Can you imagine losing all he lost and that is your response? And some of you are like, well, yes, actually I can. <laughs> okay, then let's trade places. I'll sit where you sit and you can come up here. Because I'll tell you one thing for sure. I don't think I'd have responded like that. Much less has happened to me and I ain't responded like that. I don't think you would respond like that. I think we would freak out. That's impressive up until this point. Let's keep going. Satan comes back to God and says, yeah, well, that's an easy one. Satan says, God, he didn't, he hasn't cursed you to your face because he's still healthy. He has his health. You know, that's what people say. Well, at least they have their health. If you got your health, that's the most important thing. And so God says, okay, you can take that. Just don't kill him. God told Satan that he could take his health away from him. He just couldn't kill him. So in other words, make him wish he were dead, but not kill him. And so that's what happened. Listen, God said, God tells us in his word that he became covered with boils and sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his foot. Boils and sores. You say, well, that doesn't sound so bad. Well, that's never happened to you then. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Boils and sores. Now, interesting. Now he's lost his health. And Job's wife enters into the story, and she's been watching this whole thing, and Job's life has just fallen apart, and that's affecting her too because she's married to Job. And so Job's wife comes up to Job and says, haven't you had enough? Haven't you had enough? Why don't you just curse God and let him kill you and put you out of your misery? Let's put an end to all of this. Just curse God and die. Here's what Job told his wife. Look at this. You talk like a foolish woman. Oh, by the way, that is not something I advise you saying to your wife. Okay, 
Some, somebody out there right now is going, I'm going to quote scripture to my wife. Job 2, 10. God said, you talk like a foolish. <laughs> you better run. <laughs> you think that. Keep it to yourself. But he said, you talk like a foolish woman. Listen to this. This is so huge. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? And in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. So far, so good. He's holding it together. I'm summarizing now. The biggest part of the story of Job is this interaction between Job and his three friends. Job had three friends who came to try to counsel him and comfort him and critique him and try to help him, and they just made things worse. Job just kind of goes off on his friends. They, they tried to help, but they were really hurting more than they were helping. And He goes off on his friends, and he's starting to get a little frustrated with God now. He says things like, God, would you just let me die? Just let me die. I'm not going to curse you to your face, but if you could just let this end and put me out of my misery. And then Job's emotions, you keep reading and you're watching Job's emotions were all over the place. He was up and down and it was positive and then it was negative and all at the same time, which just goes to show you that's what happens to us. You ever had enough to the point where like you're all over the map? I mean, you know, you love God and then you're not so sure. And you're like, things are good, and now things are awful. I mean, you're just all over the place emotionally. I mean, let me give you an example. It's very normal. It's very human to struggle this way. In one place, Job says, though he slays me, I'm going to trust him anyway. If God kills me, I'll trust him to the end. And then the very next thing Job is saying, but you know what? I got a bone to pick with God, and I want to talk to him because I'd like to straighten him out on a couple of things. And I think if God would hear me out, he'd understand how he's missed it on this one because I've done nothing wrong to deserve this. He's all over the place. And then Job kind of goes off on God and, God, what did I do to deserve this? Why won't you let this stop? See, God wants us to be honest, but there's a line. There's a line. And evidently Job got to that line because it comes to a part towards the end of the story where God decides to confront Job. After hearing Job go on and on and on and on with his friends, God says, Job, I have some questions for you. And in chapters 38 through 41, for four chapters, God asked Job one question after another. Let me just hit the highlights. God asked Job, Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? In other words, when I created planet earth, Job, I don't remember seeing you hanging around that day telling me how to do it. Who keeps the sea in its boundaries, Job? Job, have you ever commanded the morning to appear and it appear? Job, do you know how to make light? Do you know where all of the snow and hail are made and kept? Do you know where I keep all of that? Job, have you ever directed the rain? Do you know how, how that whole process works? Who tells it to rain, how much and where? Job, have you ever made the lightning Do you feed the birds? Do you know where all of the animals give birth throughout the world? Job, do you know why a horse has so much strength? Job, do you know what makes a hawk soar the way it does? And Job was probably that quiet. God asked him this question. 
do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Then if you keep reading, God says, Job, if you can do the things that I can do, then I'll trade places with you and I'll concede to you, I will worship you and do things your way. So fast forward to the end and let's look at Job's final response to God. Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. He says, I know, I get it. Then he goes on to say, you ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, God. It is, it's me, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful, far above my pay grade, far over my understanding, far too wonderful for me to comprehend. And then he said something that ties back to what we talked about last week. Look at this. He says, God, I'd only heard about you before now, but now I've seen you. Now I've seen you with my own eyes. Remember we said last week we learned together that Jesus is enough when we've had enough. And when you've had enough, it brings you to the point in your life where you have an opportunity to learn things about God and to see things about God and to discover things about God that you never knew before. This is what Job is talking about. He said, I've heard about this kind of stuff, but now I see things about you that I never knew before. He said, I take back everything I said. I take it back and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Here's what's interesting. At the end of the story, God blessed Job more than he was blessed before this whole charade started. Job ended up with seven times more than he had when it all began. But Job didn't know that was going to happen. Job didn't know that when he said this. Like, you don't know, and I don't know what God has in store for me and what God has in store for you. You don't know what God has up his sleeve next in your story, nor do I in mine. So we learn something from Job. What do we learn? We learn something that helps us with this whole concept of forgiving God, even though God has done nothing wrong. It's this right here. This is what we've learned. Simply accept that he is God, and we choose to trust him. That's it. That's what you learn. That's what we learn. Except that he is God. Have you had enough? I mean, have you had it? I don't know why you've had it, but you know you've had it. You can't take any more than accept that he is God and choose to trust him. Now, somebody in this room or somebody listening online, you're going, I know that. I know all that. That's it. Well, I knew that already. Well, listen, and knowing it and doing it are two different things. That's why we're talking about it. Knowing that God is God is different than accepting him as God and allowing him to operate as the God he is in your life without your rebuttal. Knowing that you should trust God is totally different than choosing to trust God. So let's look at it. Accept that he is God, which means you're accepting that you are not and that I am not. Except that he is God and we are not. That's the way it is. That's the way it needs to be. And that's the way it's best for me and best for you. If we choose not to accept him as God, doesn't mean he's not. Except that he is God. That, that doesn't mean we won't try to understand. We will. And there's nothing wrong with that. God made us inquisitive people. It doesn't mean you won't struggle with understanding why you will. This is what it means. Accepting that God is God just means that you and I have discovered our place. And we know that we're not God. 
and we're not calling the shots. We accept our place. The truth is, God is God and God is in control and he has a certain way of doing things. You and I may think we have a better way of doing things, but we're not God and we're not in control. When you get to be God and you get to be in control, then you can do things how you want to do them. And that's not being insensitive and that's not, I'm not trying to cop an attitude here and neither is God. Those are just the facts. God is God and he's in control and he has a certain way of doing things. We may disagree with the way God does things, but we're not God and we don't have the ability to control. So that leads us to the second one. We have to choose to trust him. That's it. Choose to trust him. We have no idea when God is going to allow certain things. We have no idea when and why God causes certain things. There is something that happens at a God level that is way above our pay grade, way above our ability to understand, way above anything that we even know that happens. There are certain things that happen at the God level that we're just going to have to trust. Trust God in what he knows that you and I don't know and what he allows that if we were God, we would not allow, but he's God. To choose to trust God in what he does, even though we don't understand it, we may not agree, we may not like it. Let's pick back up on Justin and Gina's story where we left off last week. Two years after uh, Gina's dad died in uh, August of 2013, we were rushed to the emergency room. Our daughter Mia had three weeks of tummy pains that we had no clue what was going on. Um, none of the doctor's visits that Gina took her to, they didn't know what was going on. So several hours after going to the emergency room and after several tests, they came and told us that she had a tumor the size of a small cantaloupe in her abdomen. Yeah, this was the absolute worst day of our lives. I went to a deep depression over the next several days and weeks. How could this be happening again? Our family had been through enough. Why us? We questioned our faith a lot. We were told that Mia had stage four high-risk neuroblastoma and that she would need to go through 18 months of treatment, which would include seven rounds of chemo, three surgeries, 12 rounds of radiation, a stem cell transplant at Duke, and five months of immunotherapy. We had to move to Durham for two months while Mia had her stem cell transplant. We had to pick up and leave everything, our family, our friends, our work. Our whole life was different. Do we know the reason? No, but we know that her journey, our journey wasn't for nothing, that we were meant to share this story to hopefully help somebody else. I remember sitting at the dinner table with Mia one night. She said, Mommy, I want to be a nurse when I grow up. I want to help sick kids just like they help me. And I, then I just began to cry. Faith is what carries us through time and time again. And God has taught me so much over the years and how to put trust in Him in raising Mia. There's not really a night that goes by that I'm not <clears throat> laying there in bed, just laying down. I know Mia's in the other room asleep, and 
I reflect back to those nights where her stomach was hurting. She couldn't go to sleep. And every night I lay there and think, is she gonna wake us up? Is she gonna be crying? Is she gonna be yelling and, you know, just in pain? My mind goes into panic mode when she mentions anything about her stomach hurting. Uh, her and I both are, are you okay? What's, what's wrong? Do you need something? Every time. I, I'm always gonna struggle with this, but I always know that God is there. God has his hands on her. And I know that one day she will tell her story. It is so normal for you and I, just like Job, to struggle with the demand to want to understand. But there are some things that we're not going to get an explanation for. There's some things that God's not going to send us a memo on. And even if he did, there are a few things when you've had enough, there's probably a few things that would make you go, oh, well, then I'm okay now that I know that. Well, bring it on. No. No. Some things you won't get an explanation for. And I understand you're sitting here going, I've had enough. And God could stop it and he won't. And God could make it go away and he won't. Or God could fix this and he's not. I don't get it. Why should I trust? How can I trust? I can't find the strength to trust when I know God could just with a thought change it. And he's not. Well, let me help you understand that trust is your only option if you want sanity. Trust is your only option if you want hope. Just, just real quick, okay? I don't have much time left, but just here are the other options. You could choose to be a skeptic. A lot of people have. Say, well, then God doesn't exist, and they throw everything out. But the problem with that is then you have to ignore all the evidences that God exists. And that, that, that little thing down inside of you, that hole inside of you that just, you know, there's, there seems to be design in the world. There's no way I can just say God doesn't exist just because my life is not the way I want it. And you would have to dismiss so much truth and so much evidence. That's why very few people remain a skeptic very long. Or you could try to control things. Those of you, you know, we get to that point, well, you know what? Enough of that. I'm going to take over. I'm going to fix things. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, and I'm going to make things happen. Watch out, world. Here I come. Well, then I want to ask you one question. How's that working out for you? See, if you were in control, then you wouldn't be at the point where you've, I've had enough. You wouldn't be there. You would have fixed that a long time ago. The point is, you can't control things. So that's not really a good option. You can complain. A lot of people do that from time to time. We all do. But that doesn't change our situation. All that does is just make us a miserable person to be around. We don't even want to be around ourselves. No one really wants to complain, so that's not a good option. Or you can choose despair. And even though we all find ourselves there from time to time, nobody wants to stay there. That's really no way to live. That's why trust is the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that will bring you to a place of hope. It's the only thing that will help take you through what you're going through. And now it's not easy, and it doesn't happen overnight, and it takes a while to learn it. But that's where you will find hope, is choosing to trust in God because he's God. Accept that he's God, choose to trust him. Listen, I, I know what I'm talking about. I mean, I may not have gone through what you've gone through, but I've been through enough enough long enough to get to the point where, God, I can't take this anymore. There was actually one morning a few years ago on a Sunday morning that I walked from backstage 
to this point right here to get ready to speak to you. And here was my thought from there to here. God, I'm going to teach this and preach this like I believe it. But right now, I don't feel it and I don't see it. Now, I know it's true. So I'm going to teach it like I believe it. But I don't feel, God, that you are loving me, even though I know you love me. I'm not feeling that. And I, even though I know there's a plan out there, I don't see it. I don't see a purpose. I don't see a point. And I'm supposed to be helping other people? That's a lot of thinking between there and here, but it happened. I'm just telling you, you know, just rapid fire like that. And you had no idea. You had no idea. And I go home to Donna and I said, well, I made it through that. Yeah. You know what I learned? You know what I'm still learning? Is that sometimes, listen carefully, you just have to hold on long enough to let God carry you through. You get no explanation. Nothing's going to satisfy and pacify. You have to hold on long enough. And if you will hold on long enough, choose to trust. You'll see. We'll learn together. To accept that he is God and choose to trust him. Hey, listen, if you're not a Christian, this is, this is the only thing that's going to make sense of the crazy life around you. This is what's true. This is how it works. This is not a cop-out. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is why you need to put your trust in Jesus. To accept that he is your God and to choose to put your trust in him as your Savior and follow him. You know why? Because it's the only way you're going to make sense of this crazy world. Trust is your only way to hope. And if you're a Christian, the sooner you get comfortable with this, the better off you're going to be. The better off we're going to be. It doesn't mean it's all going to suddenly make sense and we're suddenly going to understand everything. No, a lot of times you won't get a memo, you won't get an explanation. But this, my friends, my brothers and sisters, is the pathway to joy. It's the pathway to peace. doesn't mean everything's always going to be happy and work out the way you want. We'll talk about that some next week. But this is peace, this is joy, is knowing that he is God and accepting him as God and choosing to trust him. Let me wrap up by just sharing something that happened to me a few years ago, and it helps me process this. Maybe it'll help you. A few years ago, I got to go to Africa for the first time. My first trip to Africa, I was so excited, so excited. Never been to Africa, never been that far, never flown that far. And uh, the plan was to go to Atlanta, take a plane from Atlanta to Paris, and then from Paris down to West Africa. All right, I'm, a, I'm excited. And so I get on the plane, sitting in Atlanta, look in the seat in front of me, and there's a screen. This is awesome. I'm going to watch movies the whole way. This is great. The time will just pass. And the plane takes off, and I realize that it's not just movies. You can kind of scroll through. There's movies. There's actually video games. And all of a sudden, I saw a map come up, and it looked a little bit like this, a map. Now, please understand, I love maps. I love, love maps. I've always loved maps. I guess I love maps because I'm a little weird, number one. And number two, I like to know where I am and know where I'm going. And I like to know where things are. It's just I love maps. I'm fascinated by it. And so I saw this. I said, this is amazing. And I saw a little icon of a plane that about half an hour into the, into the, the trip, I began to realize, wait a second, this is us. It's mapping where we are. 
this is so cool. So I'm going to watch our trip all the way and I'll know where I'm going the whole time. And it had the degrees of the temperature of how cold it was, how high we were and how fast we're going. I was geeking out, man. This was the, it's awesome. You can watch your freaking movie. I don't want to watch a movie. I'm looking at a map. <laughs> but then about couple hours into this, I started noticing something kind of odd. Because see, like over here is Atlanta, and over here is Paris. I expected us to go, you know, straightest, you know, the quickest distance between two points, straight line, right? We didn't. This is what we did. And about the time we got over Maine, I started freaking out. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't say it. You know, keep cool, cool calm, collected, because I'm, you know, I'm a, I've done this before. No, I hadn't. I start freaking out. I'm like, this is not the way to Paris. This is not how you get to Paris. Now, I'd never been to Paris before, but I knew that wasn't the way. You don't go to Paris like that. You take a left, I mean, you take a right out of Atlanta and go straight. I mean, that's how you do that. You don't go, we're, we're up over Maine. Now we're up over Nova Scotia. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this thing's been hijacked. It's 9-11 all over again. I don't know what there is to bomb in Iceland, but we're headed that way. And I'm looking for parachutes. I'm getting off this thing. I just need to jump. Somebody, no, why is no one else freaking out? You know, and everybody else looks, it's just fine. And, and then I did the humble thing and I asked the stewardess, can you tell me why? We're up over the Arctic Circle practically. And I just want to go to France, man. I'm trying to get to West Africa. And she said, oh, well, she kindly explained to me that the earth is real fat right here. And it's real thin up here. Okay, in, in comparison. So instead of going over the fattest part, which would be the longest part, and it seems like a straight line, that's how I would do it, we're going this way, it's actually shorter and quicker. It's the best way. So I looked at her and said, hmm, nice to know. <laughs> I decided to trust the pilot, take off my parachute, <laughs> and stay in my seat. I got to Paris just fine. And on the way back, we did the same freaking thing. Of course, I was a pro by then. So I told the next guy, hey, you know why we're going this way? (laughs) No, I didn't. Listen very carefully. I don't know why you've had enough. And I know you look at the map of your life and you're like, this is not the way. This is not the way I wanted to go. This is not the way I prayed to go. This is not the way I thought it was going to go. This is not, I don't want this. And you're looking for a way to jump off. You're looking for a way to tap out. You're looking for a way to say, I'm done, it's over. And what you need to know is it's time for you to trust the pilot. He knows where he's going. Stay in your seat and hold on long enough to watch him get you there. Doesn't mean you'll always agree. Doesn't mean you'll always understand. Doesn't mean you'll always get an explanation. But if you choose to accept that he is God and choose to trust him, that's the pathway of peace. It's the pathway of joy. And that's what we learn. God's done nothing wrong. So let's choose to trust him. Let me pray for you. Dear Father, we need this. Oh, we need this. Because we look at our lives so many times and we think and we see things we don't agree with and we don't understand and we just assume that something's wrong, that you've done something wrong, that things aren't going as we hoped, as we thought, as we planned, as we prayed. Father, may we begin by just simply accepting that you are God, you are the pilot. And you know exactly where this plane is going. 
and you're taking it there for a reason. Father, when we don't feel your love, may we accept that you love us. When we don't see your plan, may we accept that you're a God that has a great purpose and plan and may we choose to trust. When we don't feel it and when we can't see it, help us to stay in our seats and let you hold on long enough to let you take us where you want us to be. And I pray this for me and every person here in Jesus' name, amen.